1: Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, I discovered at the very end of yesterday's podcast that I skipped a crucial detail. And uh, I didn't want to just rush and do a little three-minute deal on it. Um, So we're going to save it for today. And I'm not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right into it. That's one of the negatives of kind of structuring the podcast as I tend to do. Save the best for last, which I love. It's how I eat. (laughs) <laughs> That's how I live my life, but um, you know when it was announced that Downard was going to be staying, I was you know holding out hope that we were going to hire somebody else. And I was like, no, we're not getting a, we're not getting a pass guy because you know I was looking at the Ohio State guy, um, and it was like, well, he's not coming now because Downard's staying. And it's like, well, there's still a pass game coordinator coordinator option, and I hope that they would fill that because I don't want to have a net loss in coaches, right? I mean, if, if you get rid of one, I want you to bring one in. And the Packers did that. And I've been saying for a while, man, I feel like we're in a really rare and unusual situation where overqualified guys are taking jobs. And obviously the drawback is that these are guys that are probably not going to stay unless they just there is no second path. Um, This is as good as they're going to be. But you know, they're all young and hungry and they're trying to go to that next step. The benefit is this is the kind of crew that can come in and build a legacy, can build a culture, can change things. And then you get in a situation where you're like the 49ers, and yeah, your DC goes off to be a DC of the Jets, right? You, you've got uh, Halfley as the new Sala, and he goes off and gets hired as a head coach. And, you know, we, we grab a guy and promote him to our DC. Maybe it's uh, Rebrovich or something. I don't know. But a bunch of other guys get hired away. But you know what? As long as you can build a foundation this year, of this is the culture this is how we act this is how and this is what we're looking for in coaches so it's a culture from top to bottom it's a culture from the DC all the way down straight down into the players and into the locker room if you can build that and you can establish that and you have an understanding of the types of coaches that we need here um we're going to be okay but we we have in my opinion done that again so we have a a head coach that came over to be a DC we have a defensive coordinator who is assist who is an assistant defensive line coach And then we have Campanile, which, I mean, he's just been a linebackers coach, but you've got a guy that was in line to be a defensive coordinator. That's what he's been fighting for, and Miami didn't give him that opportunity, so he's going to come over here and and put in one more year and then try to see if he can go be a D.C. somewhere, which maybe he will, maybe he won't, I don't know. But, you, I mean, when you've got a guy that's ready to make that, I mean, it's kind of like a Joe Barry. Maybe he's not a good D.C., or maybe he is, I don't know. But it's one of those things where he's clearly – above this position and in line for that next step. And um, again, I don't understand why he chose the Green Bay Packers, but I'm excited about it. Well, we got another one, and this is going to be one of the bigger um, examples of this, of anybody. And that is the Los Angeles Chargers defensive coordinator is going to be the pass game coordinator for the Green Bay Packers. Now, this is, again, it's, it's sort of like a Campanile or some of these other guys where, you know, he's really, really good at his job. He's a DB coach for the LA Chargers. He's really well-liked. He does a really good job, so much so that he got a defensive coordinator job. In fact, this isn't the first time. He was a defensive coordinator for Tennessee in 2019 and 2020. So he's been doing this little dance for a while, right? So he was the DB coach for Oakland in 2018. So he went from Alabama to Oakland after one year at Oakland. He had such a reputation. They made him a DC for two years. He was the defensive coordinator and defensive backs coach. Didn't quite pan out, so LA picked him up to be the DB coach. He did that for two years, and then when a vacancy came around, they're like, he's got to be the the, D, the DC. He was the defensive coordinator for a year. The team sucked. Giant overhaul, and so we get him again. So is he is he a good defensive coordinator? It kind of doesn't sound like it. You know, may, you know, we could do the whole Jar- Joe Barry thing where it's like, well, they didn't have any players and da 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 okay, fine, I don't know. But every time he's been in the NFL as a DB coach, they've tried to make him a defensive coordinator. So let's take a minute and get to know Mr. Derek Ansley, shall we? And by the way, I don't know if I said Titans, I didn't mean Titans, it was Tennessee as in the college, just kind of threw me because it was sandwiched between the Raiders and the Chargers. But I want to look at this article here. This is from uh, Knoxnews.com. It's a Knoxville um, paper, but it talks about him becoming uh, the, it's his rise from D3 assistant to Tennessee's first black defensive coordinator. The majority of this is going through statistics on race and whatnot, which has nothing to do with what we're interested in. But if you scroll down a lot, you get to how Derek Ansley's career took off. So I want to read through this a little bit says, Ansley proved himself a gifted athlete during his playing career at Troy from 2000 to 2004, but that's not why he ranks second in program history with 19 career interceptions. Quote, he was smart, he's savvy, whatever the good word is you want to use for him, said Larry Blankney, uh, who was Ansley's head coach at Troy, because he was always in the right place and he always made the right move at the right time. Then it goes on to talk about Turk, and just for reference, Turk is um, Turk refers to Mike Turk, He was an assistant at Troy and then went on to be the head coach at Huntingdon. And so when he went to Huntingdon, he brought Ansley along with him. So if they're talking about Turk, that's who they're talking about. But it says Turk describes Ansley's coaching ascent in similar fashion. Ansley put himself in the right place at the right time, created opportunities, and took advantage of them. A little bit further down, it says Ansley showed a sharp mind for the game and also became Troy's expert recruiter. As Turk put it, adding recruiting coordinator to his coaching duties. He was as good as I'd ever been around, as far as being able to connect with the kids and form relationships with them and convince them that they were going to try to take care of them. Turk said. Turk said, knew it was just a matter of time before somebody came calling. That somebody was Alabama. June is a slow month for Huntingdon, but it's camp season at Division One universities. Ansley worked camps at Alabama, and that helped put him on the Crimson Tide's radar. So again. What they talked about earlier is he's a guy that takes advantage of opportunity. So there's a slow month. What does he do? He goes and works a camp at Alabama so that he can show off what he can do. And Alabama's like, hey, what's up with this dude? And they go calling for him. Alabama offered Ansley an off-the-field position after his fourth season on Turk's staff. Ansley turned it down. A year later, Alabama offered Ansley an on-field graduate assistant position. He accepted. They thought enough of him that he turned them down the first time, and they called him back. I think that speaks volumes, Turk said. Two seasons as the Alabama graduate assistant put Ansley on the fast track. He went on to coach defensive backs at Tennessee, Kentucky, and Alabama before a year stint in that role with the Oakland Raiders. Ansley returned to the college ranks this season for the chance to become a defensive coordinator. It says he'll make history in the process, not that he's focused on that. I think that in the near future you're going to see more African Americans in leadership positions, but at the end of the day, people have to hire the best person for the job regardless of skin color. I like this Ansley fella. Then Knox News also wrote an article, Five Things You Need to Know About Derek Ansley. The first thing is he's an Alabama native. I've got a video clip that Clayton shared that I want to play for you. It's kind of long, so I don't want to do all of it, but it's funny because you can tell he's from the South. You listen to him talking, and, and I'm, I, I, he gets me fired up, man. All these coaches do. I mean, they, And I know that's not the be-all, end-all, but I do think it matters. I think being able to motivate, being able to connect, and I think he does that on a really high level. In fact, the comment that I made is I really wanted Orr after I saw a video of Orr interacting with his linebackers. I think Ansley is on that level, if not more so. But right away, you hear him talk, and it's like, this guy's from the South, man. It's like, I want to go hang out. If I could hang out with any coach, I think I'd want to hang out with Ansley, and we just barbecue because I know this guy can cook. (laughs) The other notes that they put in here he was a good player. He's a seasoned college coach. He can recruit, and he coached with Jim Chaney. Not super interesting to us, but, you know, to them it is. But here is another video. This isn't in super good order, but this is when he got the job at uh, the University of Kentucky. And here he is just kind of describing and talking about himself.
2: My name's Derek Ansley, Um, played high school football at Tallahassee High School, born and raised in Tallahassee, Alabama. I went to Troy, um, in Troy, Alabama, played football there, played defensive back there, Um, kind of fell into coaching. Um, One Saturday morning, I was kind of in between, you know, pro days and and draft and and things of that nature. Had a couple personal workouts after football, and um, ended up then making it um, to the next level, so it's was kind of stuck in limbo. Was I going to get into journalism or was I going to get into, you know, the coaching profession? And kind of got a call from a guy that coached me in college. You know, he was the head coach at a smaller school in Alabama, and he asked me if I was interested in getting into coaching. And I, I had no idea that I did until I went up and met with him and interviewed, and, you know, the, the rest is history. I fell right into it. Well, it was a good way to stay around the game.
1: Next question: What led you to coaching today?
2: You know, when I was in college, I was coming up through, you know, broadcasting and, and wanted to you know, get into the production side of it, you know, or either broadcasting and anchoring. So I wanted to stay in the game, you know, some kind of, you know, avenue. And then I got into coaching, and that, that felt like the the best thing for me to do at that time. And got into it and, and loved it, and made a career out of it so far. i've Been around some, some
1: former players you've coached, and this is. Kind of gone through this already. Uh, I will give you the full list that I put on social media, but uh, this is obviously back when he was just at Kentucky. So he's going to add to this resume.
2: Good defensive backs in my short time. Um, Drake Kirkpatrick being one. Uh, he was a really good player for um, down there, and um, he ended up playing, you know, for the, the Bengals right now. So um, you know, got a chance to be around a lot of good guys. Mark Barron being another one. He's playing for the Bucks. Um, DeQuan Menzie. Uh, he's playing for the Chiefs right now, um, defensive back, um, and, and another guy that I coach for two years down there um d milner um d is about to be drafted pretty high um have a chance to work with him for two years so been blessed to be around a lot of good players one first you got to be what
1: are you looking for in a defensive back this is something to pay attention to
2: you know play man to man you know tape. i think things you got to look for is, is loose hips you know can guys change direction um can guys use their hand hands at the line of scrimmage are guys willing to come up and stick their face in there and tackle um, you know, can they tackle one-on-one in space? You know, can they drop their weight, you know, change direction, Good lateral lot um, of agility? Then can they play the ball in the deep part of the field? You know, when, they, when you throw that nine ball out there, you you know, how do you react? You know, do you panic? Or do you go up and make a play with it and judge the ball and, and either knock it down or, or make an interception? So, you know, those are the three criteria that we really look for, you know, being able to play man-to-man, you know, being a good open field tackler and being able to play the ball in the deep part of the field. Well,
1: what are you looking for? Eh, what are you looking for in a recruit? We don't need to care about that. So the next questions are all college-related, so we can skip those. But So after Tennessee, you've got an article here. This is from uh, SB Nation. It's a Kentucky—excuse me, not Tennessee. After Kentucky, he ended up going to Alabama. Article starts off by saying, uh, Kentucky made a strong push to keep Derek Ansley this offseason, but it's all for naught. Ansley will leave UK to join Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide, according to a report from the AlabamaRivals.com affiliate. This will be a big loss as Ansley will be one of UK's best recruiters. He's been key in the recruitment of Jordan Griffin, Devontae Robinson, Jaqueez Cross, and Marcus Walker, among others. Ansley, who served as a secondary coach since originally joining Mark Stoops' staff in 2013, was promoted to serve as the Cats' co-defensive coordinator after uh, catching the cornerbacks from 2013-14. to Ansley guided the entire Wildcats secondary during the 2015 season. UK's secondary has improved every year with the help of Ansley, going from 64th nationally in pass defense in 2013 to 44th in 2014 to 32nd this season. UK also went from 85th nationally in the passing touchdowns allowed in 2014 to 28th this season. Derek has done a great job, Stoop said. Just like you see someone on offense being named passing game coordinator, Derek's handled a lot on that side of the ball. This is to reward him for the work that he's done and to continue to give him more responsibility. He's earned that. That's what Stoop said when he gave him the pass game coordinator position. So what I like, they, they keep talking about recruiting. And what I really like about that is he really has a great way of connecting with people. And he can do that with the players too. And I think that's important. Again, I really think the emphasis this year is on energy. It's on connecting. It's on teaching, right? I, I just, it, the, the, and I understand things are always bad when you're losing and things are bad when you're, when you're not playing very well. You know, there's a lot of frustration with a lot of things. But again, I, I feel like one of the issues was buy-in. They just weren't buying it. They, 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 they were not sold on it. They were not, you know, it just it, it wasn't connecting with the guys. And maybe it wasn't so much the the scheme and all the stuff that was wrong. It was just, it was kind of the messenger. And, and Gutekunst talked about that when he talked about the strength and conditioning coach. Sometimes you just need a new voice. And I think that that's what they're trying to get. They're trying to get strong voices that can really get buy-in, because if you can if you can run a defense and you can get these guys playing at 110% because they believe, and you get really good coaches that can make sure that they understand exactly what they're doing and they believe, so they're playing at 110%, you're going to get a better result. Even if the scheme isn't the best, even if the coaching uh, calls aren't perfect or whatever, You're you're... you're you might not be the number one defense in football, but you're going to be a heck of a lot better than that 30th ranked piece of garbage that we were last year, or whatever rank we were. But uh, anyways, why don't we take a quick break? When we come back, I want to play some of that video. Um, it's just a mic'd up thing, but it's just it's good to be able to hear the way he talks, the way he communicates, and the way that he he interacts with the players. Because when I heard it, it just it got me really excited to have somebody like that on the staff, especially interacting with guys like Jair. You know, you you look at how Jair plays. You look at how um, Valentine plays. You look at how these guys are. I mean, you want to talk about a young, wild crew? You got to go with the DBs. I mean, we got young guys at wide receiver, but it just, it doesn't have that same kind of energy. It feels like with the DBs, and you can include Savage in that, they're a young group of kind of wild and crazy guys that that want to be something. You know, they want to be like this no-fly zone kind of deal. And it would be great to have somebody like that to kind of bring that sort of energy, to match that energy. So we'll take a break. Patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. Or you can hit me up on Venmo Pack a podcast if you'd like to directly support the podcast. Otherwise, uh, we'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. So US Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at USCellular.com forward slash built for us.
0: Yo, we're gonna have a good indie. This set the tone for the day right here. Weaving. Where are you going? Right or left? Going to the left. Here we go. Top of the numbers. Stay back, stay back, stay back, stay back. Mike, hey, come on, start, go on, that's your motion. Come on, John, come on, John, that's your guy. Hey, guy, hey, all I'm worried about, listen, Mike, is y'all beating his a- Hey, I'm gonna be real clear now. We, we either gotta go take the f-ing ball away, take it away, get right, or get the out of the field three and out. That's it, ain't no, ain't no in between. Take it away or get three and out. Let's get the yeah. out of the field. They ain't slowing down number 10 in white. Yeah. Get them some possessions out that, you baby. You oh, yeah. there, baby. Oh, yeah. Hey, there we go, there we go we go. There we go. Bend your knees. Let's go. Get ready to go. Trying you. I'm trying you out in the red line, bro. I'm not trying you on the red line. I'm trying you on the red line. Hey, red line. Put red line back here. Put red line back here. let go. Decline the ladder like I do. But we'll do with some damn violence. I will. Pissed off when you get to the ball now. you showing that word. all the other team what's going to happen to them too now. This audition for everybody else too. Let's make sure we know that. DJ, we gotta get the damn ball, man. We got a fumble. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta get the ball, man. Mike, ball search. We gotta get the ball, baby. Critical, we get one right here now. Good, 10-6. Let's go. Let's go play ball. Dust off your face. No, you gotta pretty, go punch
2: this ball, the ball out. out. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm I ain't about felt like. you
0: yet now in, in, in the physicality game. I feel you in the chat, in the communication game. You've been good on that. But put your face on somebody, K9. We gotta get this damn ball back. If we can get these th- down, it's a route. We got to be good on first, second down. Got to give them a third down. John, that race to the ass! Race! race, 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 get out! Let's go, man, make a play, get a ball. Get right now. Damn, one turnover is going to flip this whole thing around. Hey, they're looking for a reason to quit, now. You got to give them a reason to quit, yeah. though. They're looking for a reason. They're hey, give them a reason. On their ass. We on their ass all day. On their ass all day. They got to get open. Get all right. Go score! Go score! Damn it. let's go yeah. let's go baby yeah. Yeah. Let's, go. No. Let's, go. No. let's go let's go let's go no. let's go, side yeah. here, Man. Here. Let's, go. Yeah. let's go feels like
1: with ansley you're still getting a football player you know you're getting a guy that that's just as amped up as everybody else it's not just about strategy he's out there getting actually jacked up and if you're listening to that a, a couple things stood out number one go put your face on somebody and, and that came up in the last interview that I played for you, too. He wants somebody that's going to come up and put his face on somebody and play violent. He asked for violence. He asked for aggression. He keeps talking about put your face on somebody. He wants guys that are violent. The other thing that he kept saying over and over and over is get the ball. Get the ball. Somebody go get the ball. He's teaching guys how to, like, punch the ball out. He wants guys that can track the ball, and that's like Ansley, too. He talks about strategies on, you know, when, when the ball's in the air— you keep your shoulders square, you speed up and then how to track the ball because we want to make sure that you can make a play on the ball. And and that's important, right? This kind of a guy makes sense for what you're, I mean, as much as you look at it and go, well, he's, he's a Barry guy, that doesn't make any sense. It does make sense because the kind of way that he teaches, and actually there was another interview when they asked him, you know, who's your biggest influence? He said it was Nick Saban. So remember, these guys come from a lot of different things, but you know, his fundamental style, regardless of where he's been for a long time and what kind of scheme he's been asked to, to, uh, to be a part of, the way that he talks to his players and the things that he's constantly asking his players to do, I think fits better with what Halfley's going to be asking guys to do. He wants press, physicality, and get the freaking ball. He wants big plays. He wants disruption. He wants chaos and havoc and violence. And, you know, obviously every defensive coordinator wants guys to play fast and every defensive coordinator wants good tackling, but it, it, you know, it comes at a cost and I don't think guys like Joe Barry want to pay that price, that level of aggression. So I think things like that take a hit. It's, it's, you know, be cautious, take it easy, but also be fast and violent. Like, well, that doesn't work really. So it sounds like we got the right man for the job. It sounds like we've got a guy that's going to ask our DBs to do what our DBs want to do. It'll just be a question of execution now, right? You you got your wish. You get to play fast and violent and in somebody's face. You get to press a guy up. You get to lay a guy out. Now can you do it, right? And we've seen guys do it. We've seen Jair be physical. We've seen um, even Savage back in 2020. You look at some of the highlights that he was having. He's wrecking people behind the line of scrimmage. I just realized I didn't actually play the part where he said his, his coaching style he gets from Nick Saban. Here is, let me back this up a little bit.
2: Here. So it allowed me to be myself. It's coming. The personality was, was brought out, um, and it really prepared me for now you know, to be able the to lead these guys.
1: Who's had an influence on your coaching style?
2: Oh, my coaching style. I'll have to say Coach Saban. Um, and he's, you know, he's a secondary guy. So being with him four years uh, really helped mold me defensively. Um, Kirby Smart uh, was another guy you know, that taught me a lot. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt, uh, Mike Turk, my first boss at Huntington College back in Montgomery. He actually coached me in college at Troy, and then he became a head coach and hired me fresh out of college. So a lot of different, you know, trees, a lot of different, you know, vibes, a lot of different personalities that molded me to who I am now.
1: So again, you know, I, I, as I've said a bunch of times now, when we look at a guy, we look at what he's done the last two, three years, and we say that's his style, that's what he knows, that's what he does. Now, granted, this is this is the introduction to the LA Chargers, so he hasn't gotten into it yet, so obviously he would add all of this to that list, but that's still part of the list. So anyways, I'm very excited. Again, I stand by what I said. I think we have an overqualified defensive staff. They just got to be able to put it together. If they can't, then we get to keep our overqualified staff. <laughs> if they do, we might end up losing them, but again, I, I have faith that once you establish what you have, you can keep it going, and we've seen many, many examples of that. But you have to build a foundation for these players to understand, and then you have to find people that can replicate what the guy that left was able to do. But I asked uh, our resident draft guy Jake Shavinke what he thought in terms of, um, you know, when Ansley talked about the kinds of DBs that he wants. Who does that sound like? And he said Nate Wiggins is a two out of three. Kool-Aid McKinstry and Cooper DeGene are two point five out of three. And Terry and Arnold and Quinion Mitchell are three out of three. So I stand by what I said. I think Quinion Mitchell is going to be out of range, but that's my dude. I know uh, Jake has been on the Terry and Arnold train for a long time. I have not taken a single look at him. I haven't gotten that far in the cornerbacks yet. It's not going to be that big of a deal, anyways, because I think he's going to be well out of range. But man, I hope Quinion Mitchell stops going up the board because right now he's sitting at 19, and it just feels like he's it just feels like he's the right guy unfortunately, he listed the top five guys in the draft, and all five of them, as of this point, are a little bit out of range. So we'll see, we'll see. If they end up going too early, there's lots of of other candidates that would be great to have on the team. But why don't we take our final break? I want to just bring up a couple little random notes, and then I want to get to the other tidbit that I wanted to discuss yesterday, and that is a little bit of analytics in football. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. So, a couple little fun facts today. Apparently, Chad Cinco has accepted a job with the Raiders, presumably something to do with wide receivers. Meanwhile, uh, former head coach Nick Saban is going to join ESPN's College Game Day as an analyst. So, that'll be pretty good for them, obviously. Not that I'll be watching, but congratulations. And then this from uh, Arjun Media. Speaking of statistics in football, these guys post lots of different graphs and charts and whatnot looking at different things. But he has quarterback EPA per dropback under pressure versus not under pressure. So EPA per play when not under pressure, Brock Purdy is the highest. EPA per play while under pressure, Jordan Love is the highest. In fact, he is the only quarterback in the entire NFL that has a positive EPA per play when under pressure. He was just ahead of Kirk Cousins, Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, and Brock Purdy. And by the way, the four other guys are the only ones that were inside of negative 0.1. Everybody else is below that, and kind of well below that. In fact, most of them are below negative 0.2. Jalen Hurts, Baker Mayfield, and Tyrod Taylor were the only ones. Then that's when you really get into a pile of everybody beyond negative 0.2. But uh, that leads me to this. I, I got this uh, little book here, and the name of the book is Football is a Numbers Game pro football focus and how a data driven approach shook up the sport. I find it interesting because I saw somebody post um on Twitter about Kwasi Adolfo Mensah, the um GM for the Minnesota Vikings and how he uses PFF. It's actually somewhat interesting because it it really kind of dives into the conflict between the stats people and the film people and you know the obvious Solution here is that they should be working in concert with one another, but I think there's so much pride in, especially the film side, coupled with you know ignorant and arrogant fans who don't like the results of statistics that it becomes sort of a visceral response toward things like this. But um, it's actually kind of an interesting dynamic with Quasi because you know I I mean I I like data and statistics, but I'm not like hardcore in that world like a lot of these guys are and. Kwesi actually represents the stats community. And and it's really never been done before. And what I mean by that is you've got a guy that is not a tape guy. He's not a scout. So let me just read the beginning of this. This is chapter 17, The Analytics GM. It says, When Kwesi Adolfo Mensa was introduced as the general manager of the Minnesota Vikings, he was ready for all the questions about his background. Throughout the interview process, he had been painted as an analytics candidate because of his degrees from Princeton and Stanford and his work on Wall Street trading energy commodities before taking a swing at his dream job working in professional sports in 2013. Adolfo Menza went from MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference looking for any chance to get his foot in the door. There he was introduced to the San Francisco 49ers Director of Football Administration and Analytics, Brian Hampton, and was eventually hired by the 49ers as a researcher. Over a period of six years, Adolfo Mensa climbed the ladder to uh, director of football research and development and caught the eye of the Cleveland Browns. So he's never been a scout. He never, you know, got in his car and drove from, from field to field and scouted players and did all that kind of stuff. He is strictly on the analytics crew and he worked his way all the way up to a GM position. And although I knew he was like an analytics guy, I never thought about it in, in the terms of he is a GM that doesn't scout. So this is the interesting part. And yes, this is me just going to bat for PFF again. But it it really is an attempt to bridge the gap in understanding the importance of these kinds of things. And, And again, like I've said before, the best thing you can do is understand it rightly. You know, watching the tape is great, but it does have limitations and pretending it doesn't is nonsense. And that's the same with statistics. But statistics at the same time, Whatever statistic you're looking at is 100,000% accurate. It, it is perfectly accurate. But what is it telling you is the question. What specific answer to a specific question is it giving you? And treating it like it's this, this you know, catch-all, like EPA per play, what is that? Well, it just means how good you are, and it just ranks you know, how perfect you are. Well, no, <laughs> it's not. It's, it, it, it may have a relatively high correlation with the quality of the player, but it has strengths and weaknesses like everything else. But anyways, I want to read this. Adolfo Mensah's hire and introductory press conference acted as the perfect snapshot to explain where analytics fit into the landscape in the NFL in 2022. The lack of consternation surrounding his hire in mainstream NFL media signified how far football has come in the previous decade when it comes to the acceptance of analytics. But there is still a strong urge to hold on to the idea that the football guys know best. The Vikings have only a few employees dedicated to analytics and data while some baseball teams have dozens. Data is winning, but it ultimately hasn't completely won over the NFL yet. When Adolfo Mensa was climbing the ladder, he knew that he had to find ways to use data to connect to the football guys. He turned to PFF. So that was one of his goals is like, okay, so I'm I'm a data guy, you're a film guy. How do we how do we communicate? And so he uses PFF to sort of build out models to understand players so that he can relate to them in a way that makes sense. He goes on to say, this is a quote, The one superpower that I do have is that I'm one of the most curious people you'll ever meet. So if you give me information, I can go use numbers because numbers is my love language. That's how I teach myself things. Adolfo Mensa said over the phone, Using PFF to teach myself things that frankly I didn't know. I knew a fan level, but I had to sit in a room with Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel and Kyle Shanahan and Mike Shanahan and John Lynch and try to understand and keep up with them. How I did that was i take ideas that they would teach and I'd go to the numbers and communicate that way. In doing that, I'd find something that maybe they didn't know or communicate it uh, to them and show them how it works in my language. That's how I built a relationship with those guys. That's ultimately PFF. And that's true. And I think that's why people like me like PFF. Cause that's that's my that's how my mind works. The film thing, not as much. It's too, I I, I guess sort of arbitrary. It, it I I don't have defined lines. You know, you look at somebody do something, and you know every single step they take, every action, every turn of the show. Every, every, there's so many variables that are taking place in a single play. How do you quantify that? And PFF is an attempt to quantify what's happening on the field in a way that makes sense. Is it perfect? No, but neither is the film because your ability to analyze every single step in motion that they take, as well as everything going on in their head, is a, is a fool's errand. It can't be done. So I like SIS and PFF and these kinds of things because it can take, I can answer questions through statistics. And then one of the common refrains is, okay, but he's using stats, he's not using grades. Well, that's not really true. A little bit further on, it says, While many around the NFL were hesitant about using outsiders' grades for players, the new Vikings GM dug deep into PFF's grading data and looked for numbers that correlate higher with success. And by the way, this is exactly what I do. And he's doing this for for scouting for college players. This is exactly how I've built out my model. You use PFF grades and statistics And then you run correlations to find out which ones have higher correlations with successful players and non-successful players. And then you use that data to read backwards or forwards into the future. But then it it goes on to talk even further about the grading, because remember, the grading is a plus-minus model. He says, It always fascinates me that people look down on the plus-minus model, but I'd go into our coaches' offices and they have books full of pluses and minuses, Adolfo Mensa said. Well, it seems like they're doing the same thing our coaches are doing. They don't exactly know what the person is designed to do, but that's okay. As long as the bias is true for everybody they do, as long as they don't know one team better than another, the randomness and error is going to come out in the wash. And that's exactly true. Listen, again, as I've said, if I had access to the Packers' grades, I'd use them. But I don't. The next best thing is the PFF grades who grade the exact same way teams grade. And so there there are minor things that they don't exactly know. In terms of responsibilities but that is minor it's not major and it's equal across all 32 teams and that's the other benefit of pff i get 32 teams the packers aren't grading every single player for the minnesota vikings or for the tennessee titans they don't freaking know they have no idea what their grades are and even if they tried they couldn't do it because they don't know the assignments so the anti-pff and anti-statistics crowd are just absolutely wrong and the fact of the matter is all this stuff is, is day. De- even the grades, it's, it's not really debatable stuff. If you want to argue whether or not you care, that's fine. But if I look at yards after the catch, it's yards after the catch. That's what it is. And if you don't like where your guy ranks and you want to pretend that it's stupid, I mean, I guess you can do that. But it, it's, it's a thing and it does tell you a thing. It does speak to the player's ability whether you like it or not. Yards per route run matters. Now, d- are there other variables that come in? Of course there are. Just like there are other variables when you watch the tape. If I watch Devontae Adams going up against a high school kid, and then I watch Devontae Adams going up against the top corner in football, Devontae's going to look a lot better against the high school kid. If I watch Devontae Adams with a a quarterback that throws pinpoint passes exactly where they're supposed to be, as opposed to maybe throwing with bad timing and bad accuracy, Devontae's probably not going to look as good. If it's on a slippery field, if it's raining, field conditions, wind conditions... Whether he's being asked to do things that he's familiar with or not, are you putting those factors in when you watch? Probably not. I know PFF to some degree does, although we don't want to talk about that. Anyways, it goes on to say, we undertook a lot of validation exercises to see where we thought it was strong, where it could get better. And in the beginning, we used what we thought we could, uh, we could use, and it got better as we grew with them. So PFF is improving as they work with teams. That's interesting. And then the final thing here, it says, I do more with PFF grades than most people do, he added. So this idea that, you know, well, NFL teams don't use PFF, that's not true. All 32 teams use PFF. It's just a matter of to what degree. And the idea that they use the stats but not the grades, well, that might be true for some, but it's definitely not true for all. And the fact that NFL players hate PFF grades because they don't like the grades that they get sometimes, they don't like that people post all over social media about their grades and all that kind of crap, it means nothing to me. Of course they don't like the grades when it's negative. I don't care. I don't care. That 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 means nothing to me. What I care about is the process that PFF undertakes. Do I like the process? Does it make sense? Do I think it's a valuable process? If the answer is yes, then I'm going to pay attention to it. I've looked at it. I've seen what they go through. You know, chapter three of the book is called The New York Giants Come Calling. This is the, the He just started in 2005. By 2009, the Giants found the website, called them, and started asking how they could work with them. So, you know, I, I understand people get pissy because especially... And here's the thing. If you're a Packers fan, you don't need to get pissy. You know why? Because most of the news is good for you. It's teams that have players that suck, like the Chicago Bears, that hate it. They want to pretend they have good players. They want to pretend Justin Fields is good. And then when people throw grades in their face, they, they, they want to sound smart. But, oh, you actually believe that? You actually actually believe it that shows how stupid you are you're actually i'm sorry that that that's not an impressive or persuasive argument oh then you're stupid if you believe that okay great what 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 are you talking about well even players know it's not real yeah players don't like the grades i understand that that's not persuasive either they're not exactly impartial in this there was even i wish i could find it there was a player recently who lost his mind oh it was it was actually in response to this let me see if i can find it actually I can't find it, but a, a player found that and lost his mind. He quote tweeted it. I like when you used to be able to see who quote tweeted stuff and like stuff. You can't really see it anymore. But he he got all pissed off. This is horrible. This is the worst thing. And then people started talking to him. And then below that, he ended up apologizing and saying that, you know, it's just, it's very hated among players. And he's a former player and everybody's really like anti-PFF. It's like a cultural thing if you're a football player to really hate PFF. So again not an impartial group of people that are actually informing me on the value of PFF. So anyways, that's all I had. Um, Wanted to hype up our new coach, give you a a little bit of that. Um, There is one other thing for tomorrow that does pertain to analytics, but it's a little bit more practical in terms of maybe what we need to be looking for specifically in somebody like a wide receiver, tight end, etc., But we'll save that for tomorrow. You guys have a good rest of your day. I will talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Goodbye.